If you just tuned in, my name is Angel Fall, and this is another installment of Victor, Victims to Victorious. Victims to Victorious. That's the beauty of live, um, live social media. Sometimes we stutter, sometimes we make a mistake. Um, I want to thank everyone who has been following me on Facebook through the Black Talk Radio Network and on Twitter, On Air Angel. And on Facebook, uh, the Black Talk Radio Network has a Facebook page, and so do I. It's called um, Angel Fall Host. And so that is the, um, the way you follow me, Angel Fall Host. So today's show, we're going to take a look at the background of urban settings. These urban settings that I often mention where they are conducive, if you will, to gun violence. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we recorded in Chicago, Illinois, which has become an epicenter of both COVID-19 and gun violence. Another city to take a look at is Philadelphia. If you follow me on Twitter, um, you will see that I retweet everything that comes from Philadelphia concerning the escalation and the homicide rates there. And today we are broadcasting from Cleveland, Ohio. And um, one of my goals is to go to all the places where gun violence is prevalent. And what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to read a, an article published by our blind producer. I want to thank the, the executive producer, Scotty Reed, for standing by. Um, Lisa Rose Rodriguez uh, has written in something called the Ward 7 Observer. If you're following me, uh, you can go to the ward7observer.com. It's kind of a, it's a small local newspaper that takes a look at a specific area in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, and if you uh, are watching this later and want to have a link to the article, uh, Scotty will put those articles up for you. So we're talking about the background of these cities. What fosters the violence? What are some of the reasons that people in urban areas are victimized by gun violence? And why is it so prevalent in those areas and not others? So one of the, um, one of the things the research looks at, we did at least one show on this previously, but on the urban landscape, if you live in the Rust Belt, um, places that had booming factories right after World War II until maybe 20 years ago, you're going to see dozens and dozens of abandoned factories. You're going to see dozens and dozens of abandoned homes. If you catch the train like I do, if you catch Amtrak between Boston and Chicago, as I often do, and when you're headed west, you, the number of abandoned properties continues to increase along the lake. So, so you're, you see Lake Erie, um, you see the Great Lake region, you see upstate New York, and these places were once thriving with very large factories that employed a lot of people. So remembering the history of the United States of America, after World War II, an increase in African-Americans who lived in the South occurred because they could get factory jobs versus uh, sharecropping. And there's a lot of impact of, of Black Americans who were then called colored soldiers who were able to use GI benefits. So these urban cities benefited from that, but many of them have been in decline. 
And that first group of urban people who, who came up during the Great Migration, they actually um, bettered themselves tremendously by working in factories, being able to own their own homes for the first time, uh, being able to, um, so being able to own their own homes, being able to have legal med medical benefits, having a system that wasn't a sharecropping system to work in. If you don't know what that is, I would I would advise you if your follower doesn't understand what sharecropping is, uh, take a look at it online because you'll see, look it up in Wikipedia, for instance, or Merriam-Webster's, and you'll see that it's akin to slavery or a feudal system. So the relationship between urban blight and guns which appeared August 1st in the Ward 7 Observer. There's a mobile version, ward7observer.com. And I'm reading from the article. A melon-colored building sits strategically on the corner of East 55th and Standard Avenue, one traffic lane away from St. Clair Avenue. The modern structure, the model, modern structure resembles the U Sorry, the modern structure and sem sensible use of glass creates a standout piece of architecture in this historic St. Clair neighborhood. And the St. Clair neighborhood in Cleveland was established in the 1800s. One tenth of a mile away, the faded grandeur of another proud building stands in its former elegance. At the intersection of East 55th and St. Clair is the former Carnegie, Carnegie Library building. The red bricks are crumbling and the windows have been boarded up. The sunlight can no longer reach the readers inside. The St. Clair branch of the library closed in 1946. This building previously was used by the Goodrich Settlement and is clearly abandoned and has transitioned into an architectural eyesore. And uh, there are, there's a website called waymarker.com and he takes the organizers, I'm not sure exactly who, they take pictures of older buildings. There's also a, um, there's also a photographer called Tom Sheridan, and he's on Flickr. And if you look and follow him on Flickr, you will see that he has a whole album dedicated to abandoned buildings in Cleveland, Ohio. Renewals, renovations, updates, and occupancies are all components of a revitalized neighborhood. Surprisingly, these are also descriptions of actions that reduce gun violence in urban populations. So one of the things that occurs in urban, in urban areas where the buildings are abandoned, a lot of people no longer use the outside, feel that they can use the outside safely because of the gunshots, for instance. If you are a child or a woman walking alone at night, you do your best, or you have been advised to do your best to abandon these, to, to abandon, not to abandon, to avoid the abandoned buildings. Um, abandoned buildings, not only do they reduce the property values, but they create places um, for illicit activities to occur. Attaching, returning to the article, attaching this neighborhood to a larger trend Researchers of the United States Department of Agriculture published an article in the spring of 2018. It's called A Place-Based Approach to Urban Gun Violence. In analyzing the data, scientists discovered that there is a direct relationship between recovering, I'm sorry, between renovating 
abandoned buildings and a reduction in the number of firearm-related events. I'm going to read that again. The researchers discovered that there was a direct relationship between renovating abandoned buildings and a reduction in the number of firearm-related events. Furthermore, the researchers urged cities to take a look at this strategy because it is more cost-effective than hiring additional police officers. Cleveland has had a 55% rise in homicides compared to last year, according to the Cleveland 19 News report. At least 16 homicides have been reported as of June 6th. And that was a, a couple months before the article was published. And this pushes the total number of homicides at the writing of the article to 62, according to records from the Cleveland Division of Police and the Cuyahoga County Medical Examiner. In 2019, there were 40 homicides recorded between January 1st and June 8th. So this is a little bit of a background about the article. So how is it that urban renewal and gun violence are related? Part of it is the sense of community. So if you live in an area, in a neighborhood where the buildings are well kept, the places are safe already. The sidewalk, um, the sidewalks are safe. The um, the buildings have real occupants in them. So that was one of the things that I wanted to talk about. When you have these large amounts, blocks and blocks, it turns into miles and miles um, of abandoned buildings and vacant lots. The population that would normally be on the street or in the windows, looking out of the windows or on the front stoop or walking to stores that have since been bulldozed, etc., creates more eyes on the ground, and, you know, the armies of boots on the ground. It creates more people watching, more people in the street. And we've all watched movies where someone is dragged into an abandoned building. And it's not just a movie, it's actually a documented trend. So there is a direct relationship between gun violence and urban blight. So what does a direct relationship mean? Very often we hear it, but it actually has a scientific, it actually has a scientific meaning. It means the two variables are intertwined. So when one goes up in this case, one goes down, or you can look at the other way. Um, when one goes down, the other one goes up. So how does that work? In the case of gun violence, what we do know is the more, there are two things that emerge from the Department of Agricultural article. Tree coverage uh, actually is a factor, a component in whether or not firearm assaults occur. Why is that? They're not exactly sure, but they know there's a direct relationship. So using a helicopter in that study that was referenced in the Department of Agriculture, they go up and they look down and they start mapping out places with high tree coverage. And it does seem counterintuitive. It does seem as if there, if there was more tree coverage, there would be more violence, but the opposite occurs. So that is a direct relationship. The neighborhoods with the largest amount of trees photographed that could be seen from the air had less gun violence than the ones that didn't. Now, part of that, of course, is the property value and the income of the homeowners living in those highly uh, arborized, I'm going to use that word, with lots of trees, those four semi-forested areas. So 
So here we go with another article. This is called Urban Blight, Remediation as a Cost-Beneficial Solution to Firearm Violence. Every time I come on the podcast on the Black Talk Radio Network, I want to have a solution. I'm asking for a dialogue that fosters a solution. I'm asking for my followers and listeners to listen to the solutions that I have and take them back to your grassroots organizations or create your own. We need a cost-effective solution. This is why I'm fr I frowned down on Department of Justice funding that's used to hire more policemen. Policemen are not your friend when you live in the hood. That's all there is to it. They're going to be mostly white. They're going to be mostly male. And they don't enforce any kind of residency requirement in most of them, or they trick the system. In cities where white policemen are supposed to live in the city, here's one of the things that they do, and, and, and firemen too. They all get an address. Let's say they agree to have this address when they are in the academy. And it, they all pay for it. I've even known of them paying for an efficiency apartment, and several of them all using it as an address. So if 20 policemen will say use the same address for an efficiency apartment, um, then they meet the requirement of the residency. Even though if you were to go back and look on their 1040s, you would see they wouldn't use that address to file. If you were to ask them where their children are registered to go to school, it's not in that urban neighborhood. Now, I'm not saying that all white men cheat on this, and I'm not even excluding the black men who get around residency requirements in some of these areas. But there's a lack of connect. And that lack of connect is seen when we witness over and over again the police brutality that is enacted on black and brown people. They, there is a lack of humanity being demonstrated on the part of the white policeman toward the black or Latinx man. Urban black remediation as a cost-beneficial solution to firearm violence. So the researchers here are Dr. Brannis, Michelle Kondo, Dr. Dr. Kondo, Dr. Murphy, uh, Dr. South, Dr. Polsky, Dr. McDonald. And this appeared in the American Journal of Public Health in December 2016. Tens of millions of vacant and abandoned properties exist in the United States. These blighted properties represent tens of billions of dollars in lost tax revenue and municipal costs. They also erode community connectedness. I mentioned that in my commentary. Create stress and fear among residents, and given the findings here, promote firearm violence. For these and other reasons, blight remediation programs have been recognized by multiple organizations interested in reducing violence and promoting urban health, including the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention the Institute of Medicine and the National Institutes of Health. This study demonstrates that simple remediation of abandoned buildings and vacant lots is a high value intervention to reduce firearm violence. In one of the articles that I read um, in preparing for the show, there in Philadelphia, for instance, what is done in Philadelphia is they, they discovered a couple of things. Very often, the large structures and the older homes have been abandoned by family members who may live elsewhere. So, for instance, um, there may be a, a neighborhood that was largely white, largely Italian, Polish, whatever. 
But after the 1980s, people left and the grown children don't tend to the property. So in the Philadelphia article, they, they enforced a code, just enforcing a code that asked for certain things like putting, putting, replacing the windows, for instance, cleaning up the trash. Those are low cost solutions. Remember, gun violence is a multi-pronged issue. Therefore, the solution is multifaceted. That's what we keep saying over and over again. We have to borrow from different parts of the society to, to hit this problem, to really hit the nail on the head. There's not just one solution. And even though I often case it in the disease model, very often diseases don't just have one cure or one solution. If you have a family member, for instance, suffering from chronic COPD, yes, they need to stop smoking. Sure they do. But what about, what about getting fresh air? What about exercising? What about not being around people who smoke? What about the stress that might be causing them to smoke? What about eating more? A lot of times a smoker uh, substitutes cigarettes for eating. My own grandmother, when she used to stop smoking, she had a routine. She would start uh, using lollipops, and her, she was a small person, but her weight would go up um, noticeably for her, like 10 or 15 pounds over several months. <clears throat> and of course, that's before the nicotine patch was available. But it's a multi-pronged issue, gun violence, and therefore it needs layers and layers of community, social services, public health, medical, needs layers of support to push it all the way down. It isn't just the young man with a gun killing a young man with a gun. The situation has a background. And on today's Victims to Victorious, I'm looking at some of the background of these urban settings. So this article appeared in the American Journal of Public Health. Urban blight remediation is a cost beneficial solution to firearm violence. So um, here are some, here's some of the data that they found. Abandoned building remediation, it also could be called renovation, uh, fixing it up, for better word, lack of a more complicated word. Abandoned building remediation significantly reduced firearm violence by 39%, as did vacant lot remediation. Now in Philadelphia, this article is also re uh, referencing Philadelphia. In Philadelphia, they started having the vacant lots cleaned of trash and debris. The reason why this is very cost effective is first of all, you are not, if you're reducing gunshot wound occurrences, you're reducing the public health, the public health dollars, the, um, the emergency room dollars, the rehabilitation dollars, okay? So if cleaning up trash, abandoned cars, et cetera, results in fewer firearm assaults, it's worth it just from the fact of how expensive gunshot wound surgery is and how expensive it can turn out to be in terms of years of life lost, not only for a decedent, or for someone who is suffering from some type of mor morbidity from the gunshot wounds. Here on Victims to Victorious, I let you know what the public health lexicon or lingo fringa or vocabulary is. So mortality means death, morbidity means sickness. All right, so going back to this article that appeared in the American Journal of Public Health, uh, we stated that firearm violence was reduced 39%. Needed programs significantly affected 
Um, okay. Let me go back. Abandoned building remediation significantly reduced fire and violence by 39%. Respectively, taxpayer and societal returns on investment for the prevention of firearm violence were $5 and $79 for every dollar spent on abandoned building, building remediation and $26 and $330 for every dollar spent on vacant lot remediation. Abandoned buildings and vacant lots are blighted structures seen daily by urban residents that may create physical opportunities for violence by sheltering illegal activity and illegal firearms. Urban blight remediation programs can be cost-beneficial strategies that significantly and sustainably reduce firearm violence. The rate of firearm violence in the United States is estimated to be larger than in any other developed nation. I pick a bone with this. It's not that it's estimated. It is factually. And the majority of fatal violence committed in the United States involves firearms. As a public health issue, the cost of firearm violence in the United States are large and extended beyond the loss of life and emotional burden for affected individuals and families. Significant costs are also borne by taxpayers and society at large with a more than $48 billion per year in medical costs and work loss costs alone. Combined, fatal plus non-fatal firearm violence has been increasing in the United States over the past decade, and cost-beneficial interventions have been short in supply. Let me unpack a couple of so let's go back to what the research students discovered. They actually have codified this, and they've also counted and have a formula. So they say prevention of firearm violence, or $5 and $79 for every dollar spent on abandoned building remediation, and $26 and $333 for every, every dollar spent on vacant lot remediation. The rate of firearm violence in the United States, as they also say, is estimated to be higher, but in fact it is. We know that there are, um, there are no other countries in the world with this level of firearm use, firearm assaults, and morbidity and mortality uh, associated with it. And one of the really significant numbers is significant costs, I'm reading from it, are also borne by taxpayers and society at large with more than $48 billion per year in medical costs and work loss costs alone. So, when it says work loss costs, obviously some people who get shot survive. When it says medical bills, whether you survive or not, your family can be stuck with a medical bill. So what would happen to the United States of America if this number of $48 billion per year associated with firearm assaults was used on something else. Can you think of something that it could be used for? Um, send me a tweet on Air Angel on Twitter. Post a message, a comment on the Black Talk Radio Network. $48 million a year is, an, is a staggering number. Suppose $48 billion a year uh, were used differently. Suppose this $48 billion a year that can be um, generated by 
reducing gun violence, suppose it were used in such a way that the people who were at risk were becoming better educated or getting better housing. So the article also says combined fatal plus non-fatal armed violence has been increased in the United States. Fatal will be where you have the uh, more fatality, and non-fatal would be where you have the morbidity. So if you just tuned in, I'm Angel Fall. You're listening to Victims to Victorious on the Black Talk Radio Network. And today we're looking at the background of these cities and the connection between urban blight and gun, gun violence. The article is called Urban Blight Remediation as a Cost-Beneficial Solution to Firearm Violence. Uh, send me a message on Twitter, on Air Angel, and I can get the article to you directly. And of course, the founder of the Black Talk Radio Network, and um, my executive producer, Scotty Reed, he posts the articles um, that I use for the for the show. So we've talked about the 48 billion. We talked about fatal and non-fatal injuries, and so uh, the article goes on to say, most attempts to reduce firearm violence in the United States have focused directly on the firearms themselves, the users of firearms, or the victims of firearm violence. The new interventions that have been shown to reduce firearm violence are often costly to sustain, politically impractical, or potentially infringe on constitutional protections. So this article is allowing us to think about the, uh, the people who believe that removing the guns from homes um, is impinging on their rights. Most children who are shot at home are shot accidentally by a gun that has been in the house. And so we know that those guns were not stored properly. A 22 can take, uh, I'm sorry, a, a small arm revolver needs five to 10 pounds of hand pressure to discharge. So in fact, children are able to discharge these weapons we've spoken before about what are some of the things you can do to keep children away from them. Obviously, everyone cannot afford the latest technology where the gun will only discharge based on your hand and fingerprint. But gun locks, they're reasonable. But not storing ammunition and the gun together. Okay. So those are just a couple of things that can be done. But people have been resistant, as we know. Only a modicum of attention has been paid to intervening upon the context with which firearm violence occurs and urban environments to which it thrives. It is now commonly accepted that changing the context within which health problems occur is a leading opportunity for high-impact change, often better than focusing on individuals and lifestyle. This may also appear I'm sorry, this may also apply to firearm violence individuals who are simply instructed to adhere to safety practices as and are unlikely to be successful if in the unsafe context within which they find themselves day after day, not for a minute. So that, that's an interesting piece too, from the point of view of uh, what can you do about your immediate environment? And how that can impact you when it comes to the gun, to the gun violence. Cities in the United States experience a heavy, disproportionate 
burden of the nation's interpersonal firearm violence. Urban shootings are concentrated in neighborhoods stricken by poverty and neglect and a growing body of scientific evidence. Environments are strong. Okay, I've lost the article for a second. Environments are strong, uh, strongly lead to firearm violence. It is very possible that directly treating aspects of these blighted environments in inexpensive ways could produce large reductions in, in urban firearm violence. So that's what we're always looking for on Victims to Victorious. I do spend a lot of time talking about the problem, the data from gathering up the, prob the problem, the statistics, and they are horrendous to listen to. But I'm giving you that what's horrendous so you can help if you are an organizer, if you want to run for political office, if you are in grief, if you're just a concerned citizen. We can no longer just throw up our hands and say, well, we've been living with it. We don't have to continue living this way. Returning to the article from the American Journal of Public Health. However, to, um, let's see, it is very possible that directly treating aspects, that's where I was, of these blighted environments in inexpensive, inexpensive ways can produce lasting results in urban firearm violence. Interventions that produce sustained, sustained reductions in firearm violence for U.S. cities could produce reductions for the nation as a whole. And that's an important concept also when you do research. You want to hope that when you do research that your data is generalizable. So what does that mean? I wouldn't generalize Philadelphia's uh, and the Department of Agriculture in Pennsylvania looking at what's going on in Philadelphia and applying it directly to California, especially the piece about the tree coverage. Uh, palm trees don't cover uh, the way deciduous trees cover. And deciduous trees, of course, can only thrive in a place that, go, that goes to freezing at night believe it or not. Palm trees don't do very well when it's freezing. So what I'm suggesting is the flora and fauna are different in these two places. But maybe what needs to be done is plant more palm trees in East LA and see if you get better numbers. So given the promising public health opportunity and potential cost benefits posed by addressing the blighted urban context with which fire violence often fire 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 sorry firearm violence often often occurs as well as the disproportionately high and persistent burden of firearm violence in US cities we conducted a quasi experimental analysis to determine the impacts and economic return on the investment of key urban blight remediation programs on the occurrence of firearm violence. So Philadelphia passed an ordinance in 2020 requiring owners of, of, an abandoned, of abandoned buildings to install working doors and windows in all structures opening and clean the facades of buildings. One emphasis for the ordinance was that the traditional plywood covering deteriorate quickly, look disheveled, signal obvious flight, and often penetrating to allow legal entry into abandoned buildings. 
Buildings were inspected approximately one each month to assess maintenance. So they're talking about the city of uh, Philadelphia here. So do you live in a place in, in Chicago or Boston or Hartford, Connecticut that could benefit for, from <clears throat> the renovations of a vacant lot and the renovations of vacant buildings? The plywood coverings, they're saying, look too obvious. So in Philadelphia, an ordinance was passed so those homeowners had to install working doors and working buildings. We completed the article I'm reading from now. We completed random matching separately within four sections of the city, north, northwest, west, and south, to control, control for confounding variables related to geography. Within matched sets, we assigned the same treatment states to control buildings as their matched treatment buildings so that each one-to-one -one set would have the same pre and post periods. We measured outcomes on a monthly basis around <clears throat> treatment and control groups for a three-year period from July 1st, 2010 to July 31st, 2013. The mean post-treatment period was 12 months. Vacant lots are abandoned parcels of open land with no buildings on them. Philadelphia and the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society used the city's anti-blight ordinance to identify and remediate vacant lots. Vacant lots with illegal dumping intended um, untended vegetation above a certain height, excess traffic, traffic, etc., were cited as in the violation of the ordinance. If the city is the owner of record, um, PHS can re remediate following it. If the owner of a recorded, if the owner on record is a private party, and they are given 10 days to respond to the violation, consent or non-response, uh, which allows the city to use a legal form of a right and enter to enter the, um, I'm sorry, use a legal right of entry for PHS to remediate. Re remediation involves removing trash and debris, graining the land, planting grass and trees to create a park-like setting and installing low wooden post and rail fences with walk-in openings around the lot's perimeter to show that the lot was cared for, permit re recreational use, and deter illegal dumping. Landscapers return approximately once each month to perform basic maintenance. So that's a lot right there. And um, I want to, uh, expand it a little bit and urge you to look around. If you are living in an urban area, how long have you been looking at that abandoned house? How long have you been looking at that abandoned fire station or police station or restaurant? It's within your power to call City Hall, to write a letter, to get a permission and get that, turn, uh, get that torn down or get that repurposed. And you can do so in every area you're living in uh, however your local government is run, go to the website and see if you can talk to someone who represents your area. That would be, that would be very uh, helpful in this discussion. If you just tuned in, you're listening to Victims to Victorious. Uh, my, name, my name is Angel Fall. We have about
five more minutes to go. Uh, this show is broadcast weekly on the Black Talk Radio Network. Scotty Reed um, is the founder of the, of the Black Talk Radio Network and the executive producer for Victims to Victorious and other programs. We're going to pause for a few seconds and we're going to take uh, a station ID break. No need to take a break. Um, just go oh. ahead. Okay, I'm going back. So, returning to the article, Outcomes and Social Demographic Data. Of course, outcomes here refers to the article, but if you are a grassroots organizer, if you are tired of, of the rap lyrics, for instance, like, uh, like our guest, Kwamena uh, Rasulu, if you are tired of that, how do you organize against that? Do you just sit there and take it over and over again? One thing we've learned about the society now, you don't have to sit there and take that. Outcomes and social demographic data. The, the researchers here examine the effect of the two flight remediation programs on firearm arm and non-firearm assaults. The Philadelphia Police Department provided the dates and longitude latitude coordinated coordinates for aggravated assaults, aggregated assaults involving, involving firearms, and aggravated assaults not involving firearms from 1999 to 2013. We obtained confounding social demographic factors, age, education, poverty, and income annually at the block group level from 1999 to 2013 from Geolytics Incorporated and the U.S. Census Bureau. We define age as median years for all residents. Education is the percentage of residents age 25 or older with at least some college. Poverty is the percentage of residents living below the federal poverty level. And income as median annual household income. All of those factors are part of America's urban landscape now. And they all are added up and they're funneled into the tragedy of gun violence. So the uh, article continues to talk about what's called their methodology. But I want to scroll down to some more of the data and um, what could be done about it. We followed abandoned buildings for one year after mediation and they had a median of four door or, or window openings. They actually counted how many um, doors and windows were opened or boarded up that were replaced. We followed vacant lots for an average of 3.8 years after remediation, and they had a median area of 1,078 square feet. The typical remediation costs for an abandoned building and vacant lot are $2,500 and $1,500 respectively, and both costs 180 per year, therefore, to maintain. To maintain after the remediation or renovation, the cleanup, 180 bucks. How many thousands of dollars does your nephew owe to the emergency room because he didn't have insurance when he got shot? The average annual cost offsets to the criminal justice system associated with a statistically significant reduction in firearm assault. 
or $16,540 for abandoned building remediation. So they create a whole table of how cost effective it is. After the buildings are remediated, it costs $180 a year to make sure that the, the windows stay in place. Remember in Philadelphia, you have to put operational windows in the building whether or not it's occupied. Philadelphia experienced a large, a 39% reduction in firearm violence and in and around about abandoned buildings that had been remediated. The city also experienced a smaller but more statistically significant firearm reduction of 5% in firearm violence in and around vacant lots that had been remediated. These significant reductions were sustained from one to almost four years. Again, urban blight remediation is a low cost, high return to firearm violence. I just want to reiterate that in the time that we have. I want to thank you for uh, tuning in to Victims to Victorious. If you want to know more about the subject of the relationship between vacant lots and abandoned buildings and firearm assaults. You can also see um, an article in called uh, Firearm Related Deaths in the United States and 35 other high and upper middle income countries. Notice that this is a this is a, an economic desert. It's an it's an urbanized desert, if you will. It's a neighborhood. It's not all over America. These firearm violence uh, violent assaults are concentrated in large urban areas where large groups of black and brown people live, and you heard some of the demographics behind it. And that's what we're discussing today. The actual environmental space and how the spaces got that way and how changing those spaces changes the number of firearms assaults, firearm assaults. That's why the researchers in the first article use that word, a place-based intervention. So on Victims to Victorious, we are always interested in an intervention. So changing the space in these urban areas, cleaning up the trash, revitalizing the neighborhood, removing two by fours and planks and putting in real glass windows that are operational. Um, another, another place to look at is the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, non-fatal injury reports and fatal injury reports. You can access that at the cdc.gov. We began the show with an article uh, by Lisa Rose Rodriguez in the Ward 7 Observer. Uh, that article is called, the actual name of the article, The Relationship Between Urban Blight and Guns. That's what the article is called and it appeared in the August 1st Ward 7 Observer, which you can go to online, ward7observer.com. I wanna thank all of you who follow me on Facebook, Angel Fall Host is my Facebook page. I wanna thank those of you who uh, listen and watch the shows that are posted on the Black Talk Radio Network, thanks to Scotty Reed. If you have comments about my show, there is a comment section on the Black Talk Radio Network, and you can also send me a message on Air Angel on Twitter. You're listening to Victims to Victorious, and I'll see you next week.